we want to talk more about worship this morning. I, uh, I think Diane had heard something and shared it with me yesterday. Uh, the greatest distance in the world, what is it? What's the greatest distance in the world? It's actually 12 inches from head to heart. Uh, I think about that because I'm kind of um, maybe more logically wired or cerebral or whatever you want to call it. And, and so that's, that's kind of a reminder that I've, I've got to make that journey from the head to the heart. And uh, so we want to talk about worship this morning. We have our core values kind of on banners along this uh, north wall here in the sanctuary. Uh, behind me, you'll see um, a, kind of a, a, a screenshot of our, our vision statement, worship God, love neighbors, make disciples, grow young. And uh, last Sunday, we started uh, talking about why we do church. What, why are we coming? Why do we get together? What's our rationale? What's our focus? What's our purpose? And uh, so we want to pick up each of these steps of our vision statement in the Sunday's uh, coming. There's a reason why we start this vision statement with worship God. As I have continually processed and, processed and thought about it, uh, I'm, I'm convinced that that's where it all starts. In, in fact, that's the foundation that everything else flows out of. And so if you don't get that part right, uh, then, then I think the rest of it is disjointed and doesn't actually come out of where it's supposed to come out of. So it's really important this morning to talk about worship and to, to figure out and to think about uh, what does worship mean for us. And uh, so I'm going to start by talking about what worship is not. So I'm, I'm going to start, first of all, by kind of removing some stuff off the table and saying, actually, this doesn't describe worship, okay? So first of all, worship is not the slow song that the band sings. That's not, that's not, that doesn't define in and of itself worship. Contrary to popular belief, worship does not begin and end with the singing portion of our services. It doesn't begin and end there. In fact, worship is not about music, although music is often used by us in worship. Fine. Music is a part of worshiping God, but God was never meant but sorry, but music was never meant to be the heart of it. It's not just about music. Worship is also not about the amount you place in the offering plate. Although giving offering is part of your worship. Worship is not volunteering in children's church. Although volunteering is a good thing. It's important. These might be acts or expressions of worship, but they do not define what true worship really is. And yes, religion often attracts all kinds of rules, regulations, and observances. It seems we can't get away from performing outward acts in attempts to please God, as if what we do will gain his approval. We believe that these acts are pleasing to God and therefore will merit his mercy. And that's not what actually worship is. God is spirit, and he wishes to commune with us, with his creatures, 
that are created in his image. And as Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, in spirit and in truth. He wishes to have a real and honest relationship with us. And that relationship can only come from the heart of a person, from one's spirit. Worship is also not limited to bowing in reverence before God. Worship cannot be mechanical or formalistic. It's not about ritual or artistry. Although ritual and art can be valid expressions of worship, there are different languages of learning, participatory, cognitive, visual, etc., etc. And, and the more of those you hit, the better off you are. So, yes, those are all part of it. All physical postures or symbolic actions must be infused with heartfelt commitment, faith, and love. Actually, worship is determined by God himself, not by, even by our sincerity, our pious feelings, or our musical skill. Worship is not even necessarily about us expressing ourselves, even though David danced before the Lord with all his might, and that was a true act of worship. It's actually important that we understand that we can not be, ourselves, the focus of worship, We are the worshipers, and it is God who we worship, so our focus is on him. Then we shouldn't be asking, are we comfortable with this, or would we prefer to do something else? The right question is rather, what does the object of our worship require? What does the object of our worship require? That's the right question. Further, There is no sacred secular divide that confines worship to religious places or services. And you've heard me hammer at this before. There is, in God's mind, there is no sacred secular divide. We're back to the 10,080 minutes of the week. You spend 80 minutes in church and 10,000 minutes outside of the church. And, And this is my worship time and the rest of the week is something else. That's, that sacred-secular divide does not exist in God's mind. So, so a place, yes, we come together to worship, but worship is not confined to this place that you now stop worshiping when you walk out those doors. True worship, then, is actually a lifestyle, not a moment in time. It's a lifestyle, not a moment in time. And yes, you, you do know that you can pray while you're driving your car. You just have to do it with your eyes open. You probably wonder why we close our eyes when we pray. That's so that we won't be distracted. And many of you recognize that even when you pray with your eyes closed, your mind can wander off while you're praying. Right? So what is worship then? If these are all things that worship is not, so what is worship? There are lots of definitions of worship. I found one in in Webster Uh, that encapsulates the priority that should be given to worship as a spiritual discipline. Uh, Webster says, Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Notice that combination. Extravagant love and extreme submission. Webster says those two come together to define worship. So worship is having an extravagant love for God. Now, I'm, 
I, I remember a family member that got, went and bought an engagement ring for his sweetheart because he was going to propose to her. And he spent a lot of money on that rock. That was extravagant love. And, and I know how that is. Um, girls don't take an ad out in the paper. They don't call Stymac online. They just walk around like this. And, and they walk into a room, and, and none of the questions from the other girls have anything to do about who the guy is, what his qualities are. They just want to look at the rock, because the rock kind of, the size of the rock and whatnot all, kind of indicates how much he loves her, right? There's this extravagant love. And meanwhile, the guy's working like 12-hour days for the next seven years to pay off that rock, right? Extravagant love. Uh, do we have extravagant love for God? True worship is about God. We adore, we reverence, and we honor him. Not simply because of what he does for us, but for who he is. For who he is. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, and Jews and Samaritans didn't get along very well, uh, he told, talked to her about what it meant to be a true worshiper. And he said, true worshipers are those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Worship must be authentic in spirit and in truth. It should swell up from the heart, motivated by our love for God and our gratitude for what, all that he has done for us. So our worship of God is directed by our love for him as we love him. We worship him. So if true worship must be in spirit, then that means that it engages the whole heart. Hence the distance. 12 inches, head to heart. Unless there's a real passion for God, there is not much of a spirit, uh, worship in spirit. At the same time, worship must be in truth. In other words, it needs to be properly informed. Unless we have a knowledge of the God that we worship, there is really not much worship in truth. Spirit without truth leads to shallow, overly emotional experience that could be compared to high. As soon as the emotion is over, the excitement cools, and worship ends. But truth without spirit can result in dry, passionateless encounters that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. And we don't want either one of those. So true worship engages the heart, the affections, the totality of our being. So truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy. And I know I'm, I grew up as a good Mennonite. Don't want emotions to mess things up. But he gave them to me. And I think if I read my Bible, I can see that God had emotions too. That's what you do with them, right? That's really kind of important. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy. And emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people. So true worship, as I've said, is a matter of the heart. And it is expressed in a lifestyle of holiness. A lifestyle of holiness. That's the sanctification journey that you and I are all on. And... Uh, Peter had more than one conversion experience. He had to convert in his attitude toward the Gentiles. Um, and I hope, I, I wish many, multiple conversion experiences on every one of us. In the sense of 
transforming and changing the way we think, our attitudes and values. When we worship God, or when we offer God our worship, we're inviting him to inspect our hearts for anything that is not like him. Now that's a scary thing. Uh, because he might find something that's not very nice. But we invite him to sift us, to find what's there that shouldn't be. That's the promise of worship. We can be transformed into God's likeness because he will reveal the truth about the condition of our hearts as we worship him. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So there's, 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 there's something more than just the, the ritual or the singing or, or that part. There's this offering ourselves up to God. True worship includes living your life in extreme submission to him. I uh, had an experience in Honduras when I was a missionary in Nicaragua, and we went for a workshop, and it happened to be on the Holy Spirit. And I had a conversion experience. Um, because as I, as I was in this workshop with a bunch of others from all of Central America, um, I realized that there was a door firmly bolted in my life, a closet that, that said, do not enter. And I realized I had to take the bolt off the lock off that door. And this is what it was. And some of you might laugh, and some of you might have had a similar experience. I, I realized that I never wanted to speak in tongues because I didn't want to appear the fool. Okay? I did not want any part of that. And suddenly I realized that actually what I was doing was saying, God, you can go anywhere in my life, but this particular room... It's off limits. And, and I, I realized that, that that's not total submission. You can't do that. You can't say, no, Lord, in the same breath. That's an oxymoron. That's, that's inconsistent. So, so I prayed and I said, Lord, if you want to use me by having me speak in tongues, I'm willing to do that. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? Uh, you're all waiting in bated breath. Nothing. But what did happen was that I had discovered an area of my life that wasn't submitted, and I submitted it. That what didn't mean that I was now hankering to speak in tongues. And maybe some of you listening this morning think I should have gone further and prayed fervently for that gift. Um, what I'm telling you is that Conversion, in that sense, is discovering areas of our life, attitudes and values that need to be transformed and changed and submitted to God. And I, would, I, I think the danger is sometimes we walk through life so blind we don't see these closets and there's locks all over the place and, and we think it's all great. Um, so I discovered a closet and I unlocked it. True worship is defined by the priority we place on who God is in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. It produces a change of heart 
The worshiper will have an ever greater desire to love and to obey the Lord. Worship should draw us to Jesus. Should draw us to Jesus. And should transform us into Christ-likeness. So authentic worship actually produces a commitment to discipleship, which is growth in Christ-likeness. So when we have this statement that says, worship God, love neighbors, make disciples, there's a natural, in my mind, a natural connect between worshiping God and making disciples. And if God is a missionary God and loves everyone and wants to reach the lost, then loving our neighbors is, flows out of understanding God's heart as well. Worship and service go hand in hand. Worshiping God should propel us into greater obedience. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's a pretty, uh, there's no horsing around there. That's a pretty straightforward statement. If you love me, keep my commandments. In, in worship, all of life is the point. All of life must be lived in keeping with God's character and his agenda. Yes, Ritual events are secondary. This event is secondary, but it's still important. It's still part of it. We give specific times to worshiping God daily, weekly, so that we maintain a focus on worshiping. Otherwise, our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't interrupt ourselves, we have no chance of attending to God at all. So this is important to draw us, to focus us. It's also important for us as a, to worship as a family together to encourage one another. So as we worship God, he nourishes in us the character of worshipers. Humility, trust, obedience. And yes, I said trust. Worship is humbly trusting in God. You see, we worship what we trust, and we are often tempted to trust in human sources of security. We ascribe worth to these sources that we rely on for comfort and security. In fact, I think idolatry, that's railed against in the Old Testament especially, has less to do with graven images than with using words and actions to ascribe worth to God, but then at the same time undercutting this by choices and commitments that ascribe worth to other sources of security. In Spanish we say, el papel aguanta lo que se le pone, you can put anything on paper. So I can, I can say that I trust in God, I can say that God is sovereign, but my life might tell a different story. And actually, that's the real story. That's the real story. Worship is also a celebration of what God has done. A celebration of his faithfulness. And especially, especially during difficult times, we need to remind ourselves. The children of Israel would raise these uh, altars with rocks as mo monuments to remember. They were there to remember, and you and I need things to remember. Worship is also sacrifice. Remember Abraham when he took Isaac 
to, because God told him to sacrifice Isaac, and he said, we are going to go and worship. Worship involves giving. It involves serving God. What's the attitude of a true worshiper? I like the way Peter, Paul, and James all say it in their letters. Because they start their letters saying, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, Diane and I went to a family gathering on the other side of the river yesterday. And as I drove into the particular town, I saw these signs that uh, we have an election going. And I, I will be careful and I won't identify the party. But the sign said, get your freedom back. And as I drove by and read that sign, I thought to myself, I don't want my freedom back. I'm a bondservant of Christ. It's not about my freedom. Actually, I, my rights are given up. That's a big problem when we're all clamoring for our rights and it's all about me. I don't want my freedom back. I want to serve out of love and compulsion instead of obligation and duty. I want to learn what it means to be a bondservant of Christ. To me, that's worship. So worship should lead to action. And our worship should never stand in the way of God's mission, of what God wants to do. Finally, if you want to define worship, you can take that word and make it worth-ship. Worship is worth-ship. To give something worth, to attribute worth to something. The more we know about God, the more we appreciate him, the more we appreciate, the deeper our worship, the deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. We shouldn't be asking, what, what would I enjoy worshiping? Or, I like this idea of worship. But rather, what is worth my adoration, my time, my intellect, my support, my life? What is worth it? We must remember that something is grasping at our attention, our respect, our resources, all of the time, whether we are aware of it or not. So the question is not do we worship all of the time, but what do we worship all of the time? We need to express honor to God through extravagant respect, reverence, and devotion. So true worship is treasuring or valuing God above everything else. And we respond to God in love and obedience. We worship God authentically when we know him truly and treasure him fully. We must ask ourselves whether our lives and our priorities ascribe worth to God. That's a great question to ask ourselves on a regular basis. When we pray, we are often preoccupied with our needs. When we praise and we give thanks, we're preoccupied with our blessings. But when we worship, we are preoccupied only with God. Only with God. So, worship is the first and foundational driver of the rest of our vision statement. It has to be the foundation. It has to be the motivator. It has to be 
the groundswell out of which all the rest of it comes. Our love for our neighbors, our disciple-making, even our, our desire to meaningfully engage our younger generation, all find their root and motivation in our worship. So how do we evaluate our worship individually and as a church family? I guess after what I've said this morning, not by the expertise or flair by which our services are led. Not by the emotions they elicit or the way they move our hearts. Not by the pizzazz or wow factor. Although you can make an argument for any one of those. Rather, does our worship and the worship of our church ascribe worth to our missional God? Does our worship give space to the Holy Spirit who equips God's people to take part in God's mission? Is it possible that a God properly described as missionary can only be worshipped by a missionary church or a missional church, a church that is also concerned about the lost? God is seeking true worshippers. True worshippers matter to God. I'd like to pray and then I'll ask Diane to come up uh, with that cell phone and we'll see if there are some comments or questions and uh, then the praise band will come up after that. Let's pray. Lord, we've talked a lot about worship this morning and we, uh, we want to grow in our ability to make life a lifestyle of worship. Uh, thank you for this series that we'll be uh, starting soon where we can explore and, and discuss and dialogue and think about how better to worship you. And Lord, that 12 inches that's so problematic for some of us, I know it's a problem for me, uh, help me to, to travel that distance. Remind me often to travel that distance because you want heartfelt worship. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for who you are. And we praise you and honor you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the thought that you you listed this thing of when you when you thank you're concerned about your blessings and when you when you pray you're concerned about your needs. When you thank you're thinking focusing on your blessings, and when you worship you focus on God. Do you, and you said solely, do you think that we get to that place where, you, like, I find that even praise I'm, or when I worship, I'm very listing my blessings. Like, I'm, it's a sure. little hard for me to differentiate there yeah. and do that where I solely think of God. That's maybe the target, and we're not there yet. And I'm not saying that worship, that thankfulness can't be part of worship. Okay, the first question was, can, can, can you, I just respond one more sure. time? You're in charge. Well, when I'm, when I'm focusing on my needs, it's about me. And sometimes when I'm saying thankful, I'm being thankful for the stuff I've got, it's still about me. And what I'm saying is that we've got to get beyond me. That's what I'm saying. Enough said. That's all I have to say. Yeah, well, we saw that in the baby room, the three kids and their <clears> me. The me is very instantaneous from young on. 
Uh, the first question was, can you give a modern-day example of extravagant worship? Uh, no. Next. I, 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 I think worship um, should, extravagant worship should bleed into all areas of life um, where we don't compartmentalize and say, now, now I'm going to church to worship. And then, you know, the rest of my life, the rest of the week is, is so vastly different. I, I think extravagant worship is, is loving God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also submission, obedience. Now, if, I guess that's extravagant worship. That's good worship. I think our context, I think our, we're, we're very staid and we're very, like Latinos are more extravagant. Exuberant. <laughs> and so it maybe looks different, but maybe that isn't. Maybe your heart can have extravagant worship and you don't see it. Like well, the outward expression isn't necessarily a reflection of the inward heart. Because where I don't necessarily raise my hands and look outwardly worshipful, my heart can still be extravagant in my worship of who God is. Yeah, you, you, I think you want to be careful to say that the more emotion or the more physical expression, the more authentic the worship. Yeah. No. I think that's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. um, because that could be like we say, from the lips outward. Yep. At the same time, I, I think sometimes we're too busy holding ourselves back, and I think we should, we should allow for the emotion to be there. I, I, think, I think I want to say that, that that's not a bad thing. Okay. Um, so extravagance in giving service and obedience then, extravagant patience or love for others. Mother Teresa was an example of extravagant worship. Mm -hmm. Sometimes worship of God seems... Oh, where did that go? It went away. Um, sometimes worship of God seems abstract. How can we move to spirit or, and truth? See, and, and that's the challenge. Um, it, it, some of you maybe are wired like me, and, and so you, you read your Bible, uh, you know, go through the whole scripture in one year, and then you do that again, and, and at a certain point it becomes rote, or it's a checklist. I, I'm, I have a problem that so much becomes a checklist. I have to, you know, and devotions, that's a, maybe a bad word, because it feels like this legalistic pressure to give this peace to God, and so that you can go on with what you really want to do, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but the checklist and becomes rote and an obligation, and and then I think at that point some of the spirit and the desires, the passions, bled out of it. So what I've tried to do is change it up, uh, change not not be too terribly routine because I need to change it up so that I so that I do this distance traveling. How can programming at EFC create more space for extravagant worship? and allow the Holy Spirit to be at work. 
All good questions. Um, that's something that you have to uh, talk about in community. That's something that, that your pastor isn't going to say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. It's something where we dialogue together and say, okay, what, what are some things that we can tweak or change? Uh, what are some things we want to add or drop? Um, so that it becomes our focus. And because we put it at the start of our vision statement, we're saying it's very important. It's very important. One more. I have found that beginning prayer with worship also sets the tone for the rest of the time. Reminds me of who God really is going forward. Problems don't seem as important or unbeatable if I'm in him and he is so worthy of worship. I've tried to start my prayer life uh, the last while with um, responding to who God is and thanking him for who he is rather than coming with my grocery list immediately. And, and that's been helpful as I try and meditate on, on who he is and his goodness uh, that sets the tone. I'm not saying that I can't then come and pray for, for this person or that person, but that sets the tone for me. Uh, and that's the way I do it. Thank you for uh, participating. Let's have the prayer.